Coming up on Verse Chorus Verse, we had to pay tribute to a specific drummer, and this was the best way that we could figure to do it. That's next. Welcome to episode 91. I am DL. With me is Sven Foo Fighter Lover Knutsen. Sven, how are you tonight? <laughs> I'm, I'm loving some Foo Fighters. How are you? <laughs> I know. Everybody likes the Foo Fighters, but out of our group, I think you are the big Foo Fighter. Which is guy. really weird. I mean, to me, that's really weird. I don't think that's weird to anyone else. To me, that's really weird because I don't think of myself as like a huge Foo Fighter fan. But when I start talking about them, I turn into one. I think they're kind of that kind of band. I felt the same way. And I'm still, I'm not as huge of a fan as you are, but we talked about them so much last year and it did make me realize like, wow, they've impacted my life way more than I realized right. that they did. Yeah. I, that's a good way to yeah. put it. They're like one of those bands that I think I take for granted, probably mm -hmm. just because of how mainstream and how hugely successful they've been. They're always around. They keep yeah, they're always out there. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. They got Mentos money <laughs> ever since then. It's just been like... Like part of yeah <laughs> this is a good old-fashioned Sven and DL classic album review I've been lying a lot this season the last episode that you and I have I said that our next one wasn't until November when we do the what did we miss this year it's not even October yet yeah yeah I was very We're wrong talking after this one, then I'm not going to see you until mid-November. That's wow. That's weird. And wow. then two weeks after that, I see you for a weekend. Yeah. In person. All of us. In real life. I'm pretty stoked for that. This is going to be a fun one. Our last classic album review so far this year. We've done Michael Jackson. We've done Janet Jackson. I feel like there's one more that I'm missing. Um, Jolene. We've, oh, Jolene. That's right. Jolene. God, how, like, we've done interviews. Like, yeah. How dare we, we forget the Dolly Parton? But this Damn. is, for sure this time, I am not lying, this is our last classic review episode with Sven and I of the year. This is Sven's last episode before we get to the last month of the season. We're getting to the nitty gritty, Sven, to episode 91. Going to be That's a, lot. a lot to celebrate. Before we do that, you've been busy. We, we all have, my man. And next year, we're going to be way busier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll reveal what additionally we will be doing in the finale and the lead up to the finale. We'll be letting everybody know what's going on next year. I feel like we're going all in. We're throwing our chips in and being like, all right, doing it. Let's see. Are you excited for the additional things that we're doing without giving away what they are? It's hard. Are you worried? Nah, well, I'm excited, proceeding with caution, but excited. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> A few of the stupider things are probably my idea. The possible pain in the ass things, yes. Or just like opportunities for people to roast the shit out of me. We might get roasted a little more next year. We've done pretty good this year. I think next year we're opening ourselves up oh, for yeah. a lot more criticism. We're but hey. Some of the platforms put, we're thinking of are just made for that. What's the line that Jerry Cantrell does in uh, Jerry Maguire? It's what it's all about, putting your balls out there. <laughs> Before we get into Jerry Cantrell in Jerry Maguire, we got to get to the most important part of the night. What are we drinking? Well, I hope we're drinking the same thing, but I, I don't know. I think we're drinking anymore. one of the same thing. One of the same thing. So traditionally, one? in our Foo Fighter dissection, if you didn't listen to season one, go back. We talked a lot of Foo Fighters. We did a dissection of their entire discography. 
in that episode, we were Coors Light and Jaeger because that's what Dave Grohl drinks. I think people can find like the, the history behind that too and why it's Coors Light and Jaeger if they go and listen to that. I think you gave a pretty good rundown of his pre-game ritual. Which is just nuts. It is. Yeah. I tried it tonight. Oh my God, you did? Uh, yeah, I'm a little... Oh, we're going to see how I'm a little buzzed. you're talking about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so so nice. are you going pure Coors Light and Jaeger? Up until I ran out of Coors Light and then I switched to PBR... Wow. I have one Coors Light left. The thing is, like, Dave Grawl in the interview where he... It was actually the interview he and Taylor were doing promoting Wasting Light. Oh, really? Where he talked about their pregame starting about 90 minutes before the show, right? He did not specify the size of Coors Light. Those are big. So I got whatever this is, 710 milliliters. hey Whatever the hell that is. Uh, yeah, Jaeger. Fuck him for Jaeger. Because I wanted to be all about this, but it's the... I, that's the worst thing to shoot. You know, to me, I agree. Uh, it's maybe not the worst thing, but it's really bad. It is just so unbelievably sweet. And you, if I remember like, correctly, you aren't a big anise fan, right? You don't like the black licorice not a, flavor. No, yeah. not licorice anise. And you, like, you aren't no, a big sweets guy. So it's and not a big sweets guy. You are this not is built like, for Jaeger at all, my friend. I think the only thing worse than this is when I like someone talked me into shooting Tuwaka. Oh, God. Oh, God. All right? Ugh. Yeah, that's a... No. Well, so we both have Jaeger, but instead of beer, I'm actually drinking a martini. You're classing up the Foo Fighters. Well, I've started to base what I'm drinking tonight on what picture I'm taking for Instagram, the vinyl pictures that I take. Right. So tonight was jazz. Ah, my Louis Prima well, vinyls. With, yeah. Gotta have a martini if you're talking jazz. My drinks are always going to coincide not with the episode we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but with whatever episode we're promoting on recording that. Yeah, because it makes absolutely no sense to drink a martini while you're talking Foo Fighters. There's eventually going to be some listener that like starts tracking the shit and figuring out our recording schedule based on what you're drinking and then the current promo and then like listening to what you're drinking on some episode and being like, they recorded that on blah, 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 blah. We've got some VCV stalkers. <laughs> yeah, but I love them. I, yeah. That's the cool thing about having a podcast like this is you just end up having friends. Heck yeah. You just end up having buddies, you know? So yeah, I've got a martini, but this is a sad story, Sven, because mm. I made my martini, got my vodka, got my vermouth. I like my martinis shaken. You can fight me. I don't care. I just, <laughs> I like it extra cold. I yeah. like it a little bit diluted. Yeah. James Bond. Put my olive in, got my my lemon peel rinded into it everything to a dirty are you a dirty martini kind of a <sighs> now and then you get a little of that nasty juice in there i like that sometimes i didn't do that this time i wasn't i wanted something cool crisp really refreshing i wanted more of a lemony sort of feel but here's the thing got done made my drink took my time super proud took the picture all beautiful everything like that take my first sip I accidentally used my grapefruit vodka instead of my kettle one Aww. vodka. It was so shockingly sad. That's <laughs> oh yeah. grapefruit vodka. That's pretty much like a shot of Greyhound. Grapefruit vodka is great for summer cocktails. I bet. Amazing. Yeah. Not, Not great for, for martinis. martinis. No. No. <laughs> at all. I imagine that's a shocker. Sven. Why don't you give a, a real brief, without giving too much away, we decided that in order to best pay tribute to, I almost said Ted Hawkins, not Ted Hawkins, he died long ago, Taylor <laughs> Hawkins, in order to 
give tribute oh, to shit. Taylor Hawkins in the best way that Verse Chorus Verse could. We have been an album podcast, so we need to talk about an album. In our Foo Fighters dissection, you and I both picked this album yes. as our favorite. Oh, man. I get to reveal? Tell people what we're going to talk about? I mean... Oh. Thanks to Instagram, they already know. A lot of our yeah. listeners are not on Instagram, so you are going to have a couple reveals. Hell yeah. For those of you that don't know, I guess, Wasting Light, actually we revealed it because, you. yeah, I mean, we talked about this was our, our favorite yeah. in the dissection. It'll also be the so title of the episode, which will probably give it away too. You know, <laughs> so that'll probably give it away. I feel like we always keep we do. this like, cloud of secrecy. And it's so pointless. It's so stupid. They uh, Everybody like, knows. Ah. <laughs> but... It's fun. You know, Who cares? That's because we're drunk. Ladies and gentlemen, Wasting Light. Yeah. This album, I can't remember what I said ab about why I liked it when we did the dissection. It grew on me. It's it's one of the ones that I think had to slowly, for me, when I really think back on it, it had to overtake color and shape. I'm glad that this is the one that we're doing now and that our tribute to Taylor because this album had three fucking drummers making this album. And we'll dig into that. Yeah. As far yep. as if you're going to pick a Foo Fighters album to pay tribute to the drummer, this is probably the one to do for sure. It also, and we'll talk about it later, but Hawkins' personality, there's so many interesting points to hit about Taylor Hawkins yeah. making this album. That I think this is the one too. that that documentary, Back and Forth, anyone that is listening and yeah. hasn't watched Back and Forth, go watch that because it's like the Foo Fighters history up until this album. And like the last 20 mm -hmm. minutes of it is the making of this album. It's footage of them recording and then it's interviews, seeing their process and seeing the connection between Dave and Taylor and seeing them talk about it. Foo Fighters didn't just lose a drummer. There's this entire collaborative force between Taylor and yeah. Dave Grohl that is going to be, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see. I agree. When they start creating new material. Where where it, the Foo Fighters yeah, go exactly. from here. Um, I have a take on that as well. We'll touch on that. We've gotten there, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to talk Wasting Light in honor of Taylor Hawkins. I'm really glad that I get to do this with you. Unfortunately, when we did our, when Taylor Hawkins died that week, the episode we recorded, you okay. weren't on that one. It's nice to have you here because you are definitely, out of all of us, you were the big Taylor Hawkins fan. You fucking, you loved oh, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think people often are surprised at how high I rank him in the list of influential drummers. Before we take a break in honor of Taylor, should we take a shot of Jaeger? Let's do it. I got it. Yeah. Oh, you even got a shot glass, you fancy man. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> all right. To Taylor Hawkins, man. Taylor. Fucking hate <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll be right back. <laughs> we are Jesus. back, ladies and gentlemen. The Sven Knudsen is here to talk Wasting Light by the Foo Fighters. It's already been established in season one, our favorite Foo Fighters album, both. Sven and I agree on broad strokes of music. We mm -hmm. don't usually have the same favorites and stuff. So it was pretty cool when we both called this out as our favorite. I was surprised. Me too. I think. I very much thought yours would be color in the shape. Well, it shows what I know. Yeah, I think for up until this album, it was. I I think it so. was uh, released in April of 2011, recorded September through December, 
at Dave Grohl's in Encino in his garage. It's a cool, crisp 47 minutes. The label is RCA through, or I guess it, you'd say Roswell through RCA. Produced by none yeah. other than Sven, I will let you say it. Butch! Butch Vig. And the Foo Fighters are the credited producers. Double platinum in Australia, single platinum in America album. America, what the fuck, man? How do we let... Single. How do we let Australia double platinum this and we don't? That's embarrassing. (laughs) Sven, we have to guess each other's favorite song on this album. Oh, Uh, fuck. We say it every single time. This is super yeah, hard. I'm not going to guess yours. I can see you loving... How many songs are on this? 11? There's 11. I can see you loving nine, at least. So I'm no, just I thought gonna... you meant like track nine. I'm like, wow, you narrowed... You just zoned right in on a track right there, <laughs> and that's the one that you're no. going to pick. I am going to... Man, this is so... It's fucking hard. Sucks. I am going to say i don't even know how to pick my favorite track i don't know how you're gonna pick my favorite track i'm saying that your favorite track is arlandria and we'll get into why once we start talking about that song this will be a good this will be a good conversation i've kind of narrowed it down to two between these days and i should have known Mm. i just i don't know you know what i'm gonna spoil something right now yeah one of the ones you just said is my favorite song on the oh fuck the pressure's on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going with these days, and I can explain later when we talk about these days. He's going with these days. Yeah. Let's get into Wasting Light. Sven, before I start, can I yeah. tell you why I was so excited for this album? Y- yeah. I knew, and the proof was in the pudding over the last week as you've messaged me more this week <laughs> than you have in a year. I knew that you were going to be like a fucking wind-up monkey with this album. <laughs> I knew I was just going to be able to set the table and let Sven cook because you are fucking excited to talk I about this album. I've been through the roof. If that, That's yeah. an understatement, probably. <laughs> I've been so amped for this. I love talking Foo Fighters and Taylor, but yeah, yeah. my excitement got you excited. Yes. Butch Vig comes back. Everybody knows it. I guess we still, since it's a podcast, we're obliged to say it. Butch Vig, the first time he worked with Dave Grohl was on this album, Nevermind. It's from the 90s. Just go look it up. I feel bad for him because you know how like people get typecasts, like like actors are like, oh, it's the guy from that movie, <laughs> you know? And it's like Butch Vig is like, yeah, he's the Nevermind guy. I mean, there are worse things. There are worse I things. I get what you're saying. Like, he's done a lot of... He's he's in his own fantastic band. He's done a lot of great shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. But he was reunited with Dave Grohl when they did uh, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace, which from our dissection, you thought it was a good album. I thought it was a pretty great album. I don't know if there was anything... If there was a reason he hadn't worked again with Butch Vig since if it was just too raw, the Kurt Cobain stuff, because it's very clear that this album was both Butch and especially Grohl working out some demons regarding what happened with Nirvana, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely like that undertone there the whole time. I wouldn't go as far to say that it really, it was there. I don't know that it took a dominant place in the production of this album, but it was definitely there. Once we go through track by track, there's definitely some things on tracks where I feel like Butch made some production choices, kind of like a nod to like the Nevermind 
days. Grohl, as much as I, I love David, you can tell even in the documentaries and stuff like that, that he's a he's a great guy. He's a fun guy. He'd be a blast to hang out with. He's also an asshole in the sense that mm-hmm. if he just decides, hey, I want to do a 80 analog tape album and we are I will not allow computers in the fucking studio. That's it. End of discussion. <laughs> Good luck, everybody else in the band and Butch. Who can get away with that? <laughs> There's a clip in that documentary of Taylor just like, I don't know. Like, I wish we just would have fucking Pro Tools this shit. Because <laughs> then it, at least we would have known it was perfect. And nobody you know, would have been the wiser. The pressure on everybody to perform perfect. And I think the beauty of this album is it's not perfect. And yeah. that is what makes it so good. I think we've all been so conditioned since the 80s. Honestly, everything you've listened to has been like quantized time, Pro Pro Tools. Tools. I I mean, the most you could do maybe speed it up or slowed it down. You're not moving individual notes from a production standpoint. And from the performance standpoint, it's literally like you better rehearse the shit out of this, have your part figured out, and then come record. We haven't spelt it out, but essentially before this album, Dave Grohl decided he wanted to go back to their roots. Everybody's coming to my house for a few months. We're turning my garage into a studio. We're just going to have fucking barbecue. Families are going to come over. We're going to write this shit, and I want it completely on analog. Yeah. Didn't they even use the the same one they did nothing left to lose on? Like the console or yeah. something? Yeah. Like the, about? the A80 analog tape machine and the API console. Oh, oh, I'm not sure. I know that they had to outboard everything. Like, so none of this stuff is built into Dave's house or his garage. Like, everything for this album got brought in on trucks and yeah. loaded in into like his garage and laundry room. And there's a awesome YouTube tour for anyone that wants to check it out of. Dave giving a tour of his house and all the spaces. Awesome. So like his garage, obviously, it's not like my garage or your garage. (laughs) Once you strip out all the outboard sound gear, like the millions of dollars of sound gear that they dumped into it, it's a nice big garage. Apparently, on his own, before this album, used to do all his demos in there. He recorded drums and guitar in there for a lot of the other oh. albums. So it was a space that I think he already was familiar with and knew that guitars sound huge in here, drums sound huge in here. And then the comfort of just being able to do it in your house with your family. And I mean, they didn't do everything there. I think that's something that everyone talks about. The whole thing was created in his garage at his house. They did a lot of the pre-production at Studio 606, Mm -hmm. the Foo Fighter studio. Like a lot of the rehearsals, a lot of Butch met with the band before they started recording the album to kind of trim down the tracks. I think they... They They started like 40 of them, didn't they? Yeah, like 40 tracks down to 14. 11 ended up on the album so it's not like if any garage recording i've ever heard or been a part of no or what most people would think the sound is so huge you know when you have millions of dollars to pour into the equipment you're putting in your garage yeah maybe you're recording in your garage but you're not recording in your garage yeah it's not the same (laughs) another reason why i think the sound was so big is foo fighters once again with pat smear back had three guitarists they fucking pulled an iron maiden yes because that's a huge part of the foo fighter sound right like 
big fucking guitars. That's huge. Like number one on Dave's list. Every time Taylor's like, the drums need to be louder. He's like, this is the Foo Fighters. Guitars, yeah. huge, right? So prevalent in the first track. When the full band you, kicks in, right? You hear each guitar come in, which I love. Foo Fighters at this time in this album was Dave Grohl, Pat Smear, Nate Mendel, who's the bass player, Taylor Hawkins, and Chris Shefflett, who's been the longtime lead. lead I don't know yeah. if you want to call him lead guitarist. I guess you can call him lead guitarist. I would call him lead guitar. I know they trade. Dave sometimes plays lead. Yeah. And like Pat, like very uh, once in a while plays lead. But you can so much hear the difference in their three playing within the first oh, yeah. 30 seconds of Burning Bridges. Yeah. I mean, it's well, it's like... Dave Grohl's guitar style is very straight rhythm guitar most of the time. Like, yeah, that's what he plays. It's it's, it's like, like metal the, rhythm down the yes. middle. Dun dun and then dun dun yeah dun dun chunky and it's substantial and it's got presence and it gives you a good like it's what the song's gonna be. Then Chris Shiflet adds the higher end, the cool licks, the fills, arpeggios, the picking work that he does. He adds melody. He's a Fender Strat guitar Yeah, player. he makes it melodic. Yeah. Right? And then you got Pat Smear, who if anyone remembers him from anything he's done before Foo Fighters, right? Like even like the, the last- germs. The, especially the germs, the end of the Nirvana, the last little bit. Yep. Like it's grunge to the max. Yeah. He is like fuzz that just makes everything sound extra gritty. One more ounce of fuzz and you would completely lose the note. It's like, yeah. <laughs> they get done, Pat gets done recording a guitar track and he turns around to Dave and he's like, I wonder if I got too grungy. And Dave's like, yeah, no, it's never too grungy, but I, I wonder if maybe like you're losing like the notes <laughs> but you stack those three guitars together and that's that giant Foo Fighters sound it's phenomenal Foo Fighters opening tracks are always just so amazing they really know how to just blow your hair back with their opening tracks oh totally once they were all in each guitar they all kick in I think that's when I started figuring out like what the rest of this album was gonna be I don't know I was in denial for a long time but I realized at that point that, yeah, Foo Fighters, they're an arena rock band. Yeah. I'm not listening to my, like, grunge, my club band. This is, like, this era's version of Kiss, the big arena rock. And this album very much just reflects that. And it's funny because I kind of started to think the same thing while I was studying for this. And that kind of put the finger for me on why... I've never considered them a favorite. They're never going to come out with the fucking white album. You know what you're going to get every single time with the yeah. Foo Fighters. It's not going to be the artsy, contemplative. Yeah. It's it's going to be something that'll make people bounce in a stadium. Yes. There's a deleted scene from the Back and Forth documentary. Hmm. Search for Back and Forth documentary deleted scenes, and there's one called Rhythm Planning. This, to me is one of those examples of how insane the connection between Dave and Taylor was. And also just stood out to me that like there's three drummers working on this album. So Taylor must have been under a shit ton of pressure. Yes. Because this little clip is them going through bridge burning into the chorus and coming out of the chorus. Okay. The beginning of the clip, Dave's like playing his electric guitar but not plugged in. And Taylor's just drumming on his lap. 
like on his knees with his hands. Gotcha. Going through like, okay, this is the part that we're going to play. Here's the rhythm. And at one point, like they kind of stop and, oh, I do that double time. Pop, 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 Snares on every beat yeah. kind of thing. And he's like, do you want me to do that? And then Dave's like, well, here's what you used to do. And he like slams it out on his knees. As he's doing that, like Taylor's like listening along and then he starts going. And the two of them in sync are just playing completely <laughs> synchronized drums on their knees and doing like fills and like cymbal crashes at exactly the same time. And it was just <laughs> nuts to watch how in sync they are. They literally reworked some of the drum part and like cleaned it all up in this little session. And I'm thinking like if they That's were doing awesome. that song by song, holy shit, no wonder. And then Butch is over there like drumming on his, you know, armrests of his chair also while this is all mm -hmm. going on. So I'm like, no wonder like the drum parts are so tight. They come off at first as being really simplistic and then you start listening to them and it's not. The percussion yeah. in this whole album is it's insanely intricate and well thought out and it's not just like rock drums. He's got Butch Vig and Dave Grohl watching him record his sessions. He's talked about it in interviews. He's the type of guy that I think a lot of us musicians can relate to, including me, where his process is just basically beating the shit out of himself yeah. for hours and hours thinking that he's the worst musician ever trying to get a part until he gets it. Yeah. And then he gets it and he's good. Then he has something he's proud of. of. But yeah. 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 But until that point, it's all self-loathing and I'm a fraud. To have that sort of personality in front of Butch Vig and Dave Grohl, who Dave Grohl, if you fuck up, he's going to let you he's know. Gonna, you know. And also like he's, Taylor's like, oh, was I supposed to do this part? And he's like, well, here's what you used to do. You know, like he said it like that. It was kind of like, and then started like showing him exactly like what he wanted. Super passive aggressive. Yeah. yeah. In Rope, for example, the drums on the chorus, because he does keep it pretty simple. Taylor Hawkins' hi hat work is incredible. He does keep it fairly simple on this album, mm -hmm. but I do love the chorus on Rope. He's concentrating a lot on the ride. Yeah. Of course, the snare works practically flawless, but. Well, and he has to carry the groove for a bunch too, like, because yes. the whole like start and stop with the guitars, particularly on like the verse. You're it. Everyone else cut out. And for like, Abs you know, four beats, it's just drums. And he does it perfectly. You can compare Foo Fighters now to Kiss. I think that's a great comparison. I don't think you can compare it on the drums because he does sneak a lot of little bit of extra hi-hat ride He's a little work. jazzy too. Exactly. Right before the guitar solo, there's that section where they're trading fours between the guitars, like all of them. da 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 yeah like some yeah. of those they're yeah they're tasty they're not just the ride i was talking about it's very jazzy it's very ting 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 like it's yeah i also love the fact the guitar solo is panned hard left yeah I, I don't know if that was the mix engineer well james brown was the uh engineer alan Mulder was the mixer alan Mulder. Okay, so yeah. I don't know if it was Alan or if it was Butch that like decided. I don't know. Guitar solos usually aren't just all panned in one speaker. Yeah, the solo was completely in your left ear, and I think that was such a cool choice because when I listen to music, I picture where people are standing. Chris, right there on the left hand, I, like yeah, audience left, stage right. You're already two songs in, and you realize that they just Dave Grohl can write a hook like nobody. Your bridges are burning down; they're all coming down. Give me some rope. I'm coming loose. I'm hanging on you. Like you can do that with every single song on this album. The hooks on it are, they just dig into your brain and they stay there. 
I also like that a lot of times on this album, they still do the soft, loud, soft rock thing. He goes yeah. really heavy in verses and then he chills out and lets harmonies kind of take over in the choruses. You talk yeah. about like bridge burning and he's, he comes in just screaming the Dave Grohl screams. But by the time he gets to the chorus, it's all harmony and soft singing. I think like he does that when he knows that enough of the harmony and guitar, there's enough to keep the energy super high for a chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still got so much behind pulling back vocally and just letting harmonies and chords soar. Do you want to talk about Bob Mould now? Dear Rosemary, yeah. that's right. I love Bob Mould. I love him a lot. I can't believe he was just fucking here and I didn't two see him nights like ago. two nights ago. But yeah, no, Bob Mould. Special guests on Dear Rosemary. Dave Grohl has him come in. It's a big deal because he's, you know, huge, huge influence, fan. Right? Yeah, huge I mean, influence on him. All the stuff, Bob, Bob Mould solo work, Husker Du, who doesn't fucking love Bob Mould? You want some loud guitar and like big loud vocals he's like right up that alley man i do love too that you do still get that even in this which is it's a very arena rock song he comes in singing the this is no ordinary life and he's still got that kind of low 80s yeah you know what i noticed i think i'm really tickled that butch did i'm assuming like they produced dave's vocals to match bob's sound bob yes. always has that doubled chorusy vocal effect they treated dave's vocals the same way and I thought that was really cool. It was kind of like Bob's a part of the song, not just because he's there and the parts that he sing, but like his fingerprints are actually reaching deeper into the production and into the song than that. Yeah. And the fact that he wrote the bridge, right? Dave, it, he intentionally didn't write the whole song. He left stuff for Bob to help him write to it. Write. And I guess like the bridge, oh, cool. they wrote the bridge together, that back and forth. Next track is White Limo. White Limo. Lemmy, did you know that from Motorhead? Uh-uh. You didn't see this? No, I mean I know Dave Grohl loves Lemmy. Oh my God! There's like a whole like video of Lemmy driving them around in a limo. I don't know if it was a promo for this song. I'm not even sure why they did it, but it's like a video you can go watch. So I knew that this was kind of Dave Grohl's ode to Lemmy song. This was his Motorhead is my biggest influence, and I really want a song where the rhythm section and the at least one of the guitars sounds like Motorhead. Yeah. But I also want a song I can just scream the whole time to. There's a lot of thrash on this. I mean like there's some nods to like old school metal. There's that leads us to Arlandria, which is essentially a song about him growing up in his hometown and kind of all he wanted to do as a kid was get out because that's what you have to do as a kid if you want to be something. You have to get away from your home and you got to take chances and you got to do things this hole that he was stuck in until he got out but then you grow up and you go back home and you love it he's there now he loves it virginia is a fantastic state i love it there i love this song i love the juxtaposition of when you're a kid you have to get out of your hometown to really be something But then once you get older, you kind of realize that, look, there is no fuck New York City, fuck L.A. Every town has amazing and shitty things in it. I don't live in Boise anymore, but I'm always going to completely love it. Because, you know, I grew up there. So, yeah, I remember in junior high and high school, everybody here, especially people that were into music, were like, as soon as I fucking graduate, I'm going Gotta to Portland. Get the fuck out of here. I'm going to yep. Seattle. I'm going to Portland. You know, like everybody wanted. And then so many of those people that I know that I, that actually left are back here. 
When are you coming back, Dave? <laughs> no, I don't think it's happening yeah. for me. This is another fantastic hook. Yeah. You are not me, Arlandria. I love that. You know, picturing as a kid. I love that. And then at the end, they do the bridge where it's he's singing My Sweet Virginia. It's a really well-written song. The whole way that it builds into the chorus each cycle through it's a really good powerful pattern then you picked this as my favorite song, i did right? i just putting a star i here. felt like this is the part of the album where suddenly just seems more complex than the other ones it de definitely yeah this is the first like hint of like okay we're not just like balls to the wall gonna yeah. pound you with rock and roll. There might be some feelings and artsiness that we're gonna throw into this album. And then the next one is These, These days, days, which you picked as my favorite. Well, because it's the best song that Dave Grohl's ever written, maybe, <laughs> possibly. That's a good reason. We talked about earlier, they're doing like the 40 songs that they're trying to narrow down. Cutting this one, cutting that one, this one's in. And Dave's like, hey, well, I like I got this other song. And starts playing These Days on acoustic. Wow. The interview is like, Taylor, you're going like, oh, really? Yeah, just this <laughs> other song that you had? Like, it's not just like the best song you've ever fucking written i'll almost agree with taylor this one i feel like is just maybe slightly so this is the first song that he has actually come out and said yes this song is about nirvana this is the first album where there are two songs i believe on this album where he says yeah i think it's this one and i sh i should have the known. other one's a little more like obvious because the guest bassist they bring in yeah yeah so these days is a typical foo fighter song that i wouldn't be a huge fan of it's a little cheesy it's the same formula that he always uses but there is something about this song that just hit the chorus the Easy for you to say. I, That's the I bet hook. you. Yeah. That, I think the reason um, that the chorus, like, easy for you to say, hits so hard because Butch Vig produced an awesome song. Mm -hmm. He pulled them back intentionally on the verses, trying to make things as simple. He'll clean things up and take out the complicated shit and try to get people to do the simple things that can be done really well. You can make that sound good and there's no guesswork. Dave goes full-blown, not full-blown scream, but full-blown volume on an his- emotion. Like, full -blown An emotion. Full-blown emotion. Yeah, putting the energy out there. It's interesting because one of the reasons I love this album is there are no ballads. Because of the way that the rest of the album is built, this has a feel of a ballad. Yes. They're emotional. That chorus, the easy for you to say your heart has never been broken, your pride has never been stolen, but then yeah. one of these days it will be. Yeah. It's way more thought-provoking than Dave usually is. You were talking about how it's about his, you know, Nirvana and Kurt. And this song in particular is a little more about his process and experience coming out of that, how he moved on and how the Foo Fighters actually, because the Foo Fighters were just him yeah. when it started. I think this was just kind of summing up everything from the first album. Leads into the next one, which once he starts getting to the middle of the album, it's a little more emotion. This is back and forth. The verses on this are spectacular. Once again, is, he's doing the kind of the muted guitar while he while he's singing real calmly. It's like classic arena rock. This is classic formula. Foo Fighters. Classic Foo this Fighters. This could have been on the color and the but, shape. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
could have been color and the shape. This is like a good example of what defines the Foo Fighters sound. Mm -hmm. And it was like meant to be played in a giant venue. I don't love the chorus on this. The way that it kind of turns into a, not poppy, but I picture Weezer or Buddy Holly or you know what I mean? Like I, I see what you're saying. It's weird. It goes from this, does my heaven burn like hell on you? That's an amazing line. He's singing about something here. This is like the next Mentos commercial. Yeah. That's basically what you're saying. I don't know. And then all of a sudden they bust into the chorus and it's this. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. It does go super yeah. poppy and super like teen spirit. Uh, which leads us to a matter of time. This part of the album is when, and I'm not saying I don't like it. This is when it starts to get a little bit. I've heard this song so many times from the Foo Fighters. I feel that a lot when I listen to this album, but the reason why I like this album is because if the Foo Fighters keep doing the same thing over and over, there's got to be a best of that same thing over and over. And this is the right, best yeah. of that same They're thing just trying over to find and over it. to me. Yeah. I think I feel a lot of what you just said. Um, the vocal parts are super solid on this and the harmonies mm -hmm. on this are super solid. I, they are on the whole album, but something about like the oohs that happen. Mm -hmm. I think of that more with their next song on the album, Miss the Misery, which is another song that... Oh, shit. Sorry. No. That's well, what we know for Miss the Misery. <laughs> well, he does, he does in the last one song, too. Coolest drum groove is in here, though, in the verse. Oh. Uh, so you like the it, kind of the quicker hi-hat, like the... T -t 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 it is, and it's just... There's just like some little intricate... There's a few things that I think would be really hard to try to keep track of as a drummer in your head. It's just like one of the coolest verse patterns, I think. There's some cool bass parts in this too, like during the verse where Nate, I mean, it's just a minor scale. He's just like walking up a minor scale. But mm -hmm. to me, it was like a very jazzy thing to do for a rock arena, a rock. Miss the misery, which, hey, it's always a good sign when yeah. the singer is singing the uh, name of the album in the song. Yeah. Essentially, it was Dave Grohl's way of you have to live every second. Anytime that you're not living life to the fullest, you're wasting life. It's like there's a theme to this album it's almost like there is huh i love the intro to this towards the end of the album this is not one of my favorites but i really love that opening though those o's to me i don't know why i like them so much but i do <laughs> they're fantastic they're so good and then we get to i should have known yeah like you were saying it's kind of the other if there was a ballad on this this would be it this is the one where there's just some incredible fucking violin work you know instead of ballad jesse green i think i would rather call it cinematic cinematic that's good I'll take that. You know what I love about Jesse Green's violin playing? Huh. And you'll appreciate this. We both play violin. She embraces the side string scratchy. The thing that we were taught is fucking up. Yeah, like the the airiness of the bow that like when it's yeah. not being. Yeah, like the stuff that your, your old instructor would have been, you know, punishing you for. She like, yeah, embraced 13 it. Years Suzuki method. Yes, yeah. She embraces it. She uses it in the song, and it's fucking amazing. Yeah, I love it. That kind of stuff, like you can get away with, I think, on rock albums. Like that extra texture, it gives it like a almost like a breathiness. Like yes. people do the same thing with their voice, where they just put like so much air through their vocal cords that it comes out like they, there's a lot of like, a hiss. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, this is the other song that was about Kurt, which makes it even more meaningful, the fact right. that Butch Vig was producing. And then, of course, Chris, Chris plays knows, bass on. Yeah. It's funny because, like, you know exactly when you hear his bass, <laughs> yeah. you, yes. like, right away, yes. <laughs> no. 
If this was a nod to Nirvana, he never sounded like this on Nirvana. It was a little bit push the rawness, the mid frequencies so much to just make him stand out from the guitars. Yeah. I think that was it. They were trying to make sure that you knew Chris was playing on this. And I think like out of all the songs for him to, to be on this album, this is the one, obviously. It totally is. I kind of wish like most Nirvana fans, which you and I are, that's the thing is it took me a long time to get to where I could disassociate Nirvana with Foo Fighters. And I feel bad for the Foo Fighters because yeah. even in that documentary that you keep talking about, it starts with fucking 20 minutes of Nirvana. If oh, you yeah. are a Foo Fighter, you will never get away from Nirvana. And even Dave Grohl, no. I feel like will always be fighting demons of people think it's a compliment to him, including me. I do the same thing. People think it's a compliment to to tell him you were in the greatest band of all time. Meanwhile, he's in a fucking band. You're telling he's him, in the, yeah. hey, your band is not as good as your last band. That is not your fault you're not in anymore. That's fucking tough right. stuff, man. I think this is where like I... I'm going to lose some friends, but like, <laughs> uh -oh. he is in the greatest band. For him right now, this is the thing. This is it. Foo Fighters is it. It's it's the greatest. You look at the timeline of rock music, and Nirvana was a blip. It was a very substantial blip. I'm a huge Nirvana fan. I love Kurt Cobain. As awesome and as influential and as many bands that have come after it that have been affected, they were like a blip. They were here for like a second. Mm -hmm. What Dave is doing now, I feel like, I don't think he should ever feel like you know, I think he's outgrown the. Oh yeah, you were the you were the drummer from Nirvana. He's not that guy anymore. No, he's absolutely Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. You know, like uh, yeah, I think he's grown out of it. But I think I just think that will always. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it has been long enough to where the next generation doesn't. Fuck, people don't know who Nirvana. I is remember now. the first time that a, <laughs> that I met a coworker that didn't know who Nirvana was, and I was kind of changed my whole outlook on everything. I was like, what the. Fuck, man. God, I, you know what I wish? And maybe someday we'll be big enough to do it. But I really wish that we could just fucking talk to Dave Grohl about it. I'm sure it's always going to be kind of a hard subject, not because of the band, but because his friend killed himself. Right. You can't ever get over that. It would be really fun to just ask him honestly, like, what is it like to have fucking music nerds like me? I want to think about and talk about Nirvana and stuff. And meanwhile, he's like, fuck, man, I've been in this other band for 20 years. Yeah. Can we get past the Nirvana shit? Or maybe he is thinking like, yeah, you're right. I was in the greatest band of all time. And now I'm in Foo Fighters. And I love it. And maybe that's... I mean... Maybe that's fine. He fucking did this album. <laughs> he did. He did. I mean, like, that, to me, that's kind of what this album... I'm, I'm not going to say that that's the purpose of this album, but I feel like this album maybe was a way for him... You're right. It would be awesome if we could just ask Dave himself. As much as I love Nirvana, the cult side of the following is a bit extreme i well, mean yeah. i used to be there if us normal human beings that were not in nirvana have to think through all that shit it's probably like 10 times worse for him yeah i think you have to bring up nirvana if you are talking analytically or dissecting foo fighters nirvana has to be brought up but I agree that I do not think that yeah. the only comparison between Nirvana and Foo Fighters you can have is that Dave Grohl was in both of them. They are, oh, I'm sorry, Pat Smear and too. Pat Smear. More proof that Nirvana was 
Kurt Cobain and Foo Fighters as Dave Grohl. Yeah. Bottom line is, is, hey, (laughs) we're talking about a Foo Fighters album and even we are guilty of it because we just talked about Nirvana for a half hour. So (laughs) Dave does it. Yeah. The minute that I heard the news about Taylor, I thought of this song. I should have known and how how much it could apply also to to Taylor. Taylor. Another time that he's losing his best friend who has been like his henchman, collaborator, partner in crime. They wrote shit together. Taylor's the other voice. He sings back up in all this. Yeah, that's that's the creative process. And so another whole disruption to the creative process. Like you you can hire some other drummer to play what Taylor used to play. When you go to write a new song, how's that going to go? When Taylor Hawkins died, what were your odds of if Foo Fighters get were I thought dead? it was the end. Me too. Not like in a, like a, a doom gloom, like Dave's just going to sink into like stick his head in the ground and crawl under a rock and disappear. Like not that kind of a thing, but I was seriously concerned about what's this going to do to Dave as an artist and as a human? Is this just like too much? Is it just too fucked up? We're talking about I Should Have Known. Dave Grohl singing like, I cannot forgive you yet. He's singing about basically watching the comet that was Kurt Cobain Mm -hmm. do what Kurt Cobain did and knowing, of course, this was going to happen. What other way could this have possibly ended up? Yeah. But with Taylor, I feel like somebody, and I'm not at all saying that he should, but I feel like Dave could feel a lot more responsibility. Yeah. Because with Kurt, you're just fucking holding on for dear life. Right. Just waiting for, waiting until you just get knocked off that horse. Right. Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl is the fucking captain. And it's like your best friend and you didn't say shit. He did, though. They had to delay tour for Taylor freaking ODing. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew that Taylor had a history with drugs. I didn't know that. They were in Europe and Dave gets a phone call that Taylor's in the hospital. They had to postpone a shit ton of dates and everything because Taylor OD'd on, and I think it was heroin. Taylor, I think, had a history of hitting it hard. And like he even said in an interview, he was like, that's what I thought it meant to be a rocker. You know, like you got to be a true rocker. You got that's what you do. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast this year because I've I've done an episode on Mark Lanigan. Evil and I did 1992. We talked about Dirt by Allison Chains. Actually, Rachel made a good point. We were talking about Dirt because Dirt, the whole album is essentially Lane Staley saying, Please, for the love of God, don't do drugs. Uh, Look at me. Look at what I'm doing to myself. I'm going to die. This is what drugs are like. Stop. And Rachel made the point of, even if you are doing that, kids are still looking at you, idolizing you, saying you were able to write that and do that. They want your struggle. Exactly. exactly. You romanticize that struggle. You romanticize the dark part of it. It's a reason why I'm really glad that I never, that like we never made it big. Because there is a fucking 80% chance that I would have been like that. Yeah. I would have been the fucking Keith Richards in the band, too. Like, I'd have been right there with you or whatever. Exactly. Like, Taylor Hawkins was part of that. You said it best. That's what you do when you're a fucking rock star. Should we talk about the last song in the album? Hmm. Walk. She's so high above me. Why did you just start singing? Because listen to the intro, man. That's the first thing that I thought of when I heard. You know what's funny? You You know what I think of? I think of... There she goes. Oh. oh my God, you're right. That intro. <laughs> yeah, this. <laughs> it's a melodic, beautiful way to close out the album, I think. It is. Um, 
But and I think <laughs> for an album that is this emotional for Dave, it's a good song to end it on. You know, the whole learning to walk again. I, you know, I've waited long enough. This is the part, because I haven't watched that documentary in a long time. This is the part that I remember. And it was really touching. You're hearing him finally kind of deal with these, exercise these demons of Nirvana. He's singing these songs like this, like learning to walk again. Mm -hmm. I've waited long enough. And in the documentary, he's singing these things. And then all of a sudden his like little girls coming in and being like, daddy, you're supposed to take me swimming. Yeah. I want to go swimming. I know. I just got to record. I (laughs) I just got to finish this. And it's this beautiful thing of showing him dealing with the past now, because what he has is just so beautiful that he can finally face those demons. Yeah. Because of that, I think that songs like this that I would typically not care for. I usually write off, yeah. You can totally, you can embrace it. I normally would call this filler, but I think in the grand, and this, listen to me, like I'm the guy that doesn't get into lyrics and the meanings behind songs. And like, honestly, mm-hmm. most of the time when I listen to music, I don't even hear the, the words. I just hear the syllables <laughs> just and hear phonetics. Phonetic. Yeah. yeah. It could be like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, they, yeah. You could do that. And I'm happy. Like I'm just listening to everything else and the instrumentals for this episode. I did. I made sure that I went through and read lyrics. Cause that's what a lot of people are into. The story that this album tells, this is a good conclusion. If you had like a final chapter in a novel, it's a good way to like, it's a release and rediscovery moving forward. It starts, the first lines of the album are, these are my famous last words. My number's up. I got bridges to burn. Yeah. It's almost like the, the however many steps of grief. He comes in just fucking pissed and he's ready to just burn the fucking city down. Yeah. And then as it goes, there's songs about revenge. All of a sudden there's songs that he's broken hearted. And then, you know, he gets to like, I should have known where there's regret. Yeah. And there's like, God, I could have done this. And then it ends with this, which is acceptance. Took us through all the stages of grief. We did it. I think, yeah. What did I say? Anger, vengeance, regret, acceptance. That's close, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, like, what is it? Um, there's seven stages. There's seven. You're a psychologist, Damn. man. I'm, awesome. ca- I'm calling you for therapy um, on Monday. <laughs> Hey, Sven, we're an uh, hour 45 in. Should we uh, take a break and go to awards and categories? Oh! We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Oh, we're doing this again? Uh, I, I would encourage you to. <laughs> You're a bad influence. One more for Taylor. Like, why not? I mean, yeah. like... <laughs> Let's get to... <laughs> Some awards and categories for poor Svend. We've got the David Crosby Met Award for bad reviews. Mike at the Solar Home gave this one out of five stars, saying, I should have bought their greatest hits. What? This review was written in 2012. Only the last song, Walk, was worth anything. After seeing their video, (laughs) I thought this would be good. I should have got their greatest hits instead and had more decent tracks. Did so they have like an official this, greatest hits release? I'm guessing that Mike probably listens to this podcast, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, Mike, if you decide when you aren't a big fan of a band's album that you need to just get a greatest hits, just listen to the radio. Yeah. You're just going to like the radio. You are. I think you just want the radio. DMX award. 
the making of this was unique. Oh, totally. It's analog. It's deep. They all basically kind of camped out at Grohl's house. Butch! It's Butch. It's a reunion. The uniqueness of this album is the people and the way that they made it. I forgot why I wanted to. Hey, you've had something. too much Jaeger. You can never have too much Jaeger. And what are you drinking? That is not PBR. Oh, this is uh, an Apocalypse IPA oh, you're, from Tenborough. You're, you're, I'm cheating. So you've drank a bunch of Coors Light. You've had a PBR. Well, like you've six. Had two shots I think, of I think it, like, six was the tradition, right? And then, yeah. like, you drank six Coors Lights? As he's walking on stage, has another one. But he has way more Jaeger than I have had. I've had two shots but of Jaeger. But he also, sh- he talks about how he goes around and he shoots it with people. So he's not Because he like, feels guilty that he's the only one that's had something, so everyone else has to have some. You know what we didn't do? We didn't even talk about his fucking guitars. We didn't? I didn't know we were supposed to. Every <laughs> Foo Fighters album has been recorded with the same fucking yeah, guitar. He's Not the blue one that he plays sometimes, which is a model of the red mm-hmm. one that he plays, but that Gibson, whatever, Lopez, something, something special with the headstock that's different than any other. He bought it while he was still in Nirvana, and it, it was on this album. Like, that's the Foo Fighters sound. Anyway. I mean, we can talk about their guitars. I just figured everybody, like, Dave Grohl's always either, he's either on the, like, when you think of Dave Grohl, you think of him playing the blues. This is it. The other stupid yeah. thing that I, like, realized on this production and, like, of their guitars and shit on this, I think it was on Gearspace or some shit like that. Like, what kind of mics? SM57. It's, the like, 50, the little, like, yeah. pencil-looking mic. I don't know. It's, the like, sure a 90 one, right? fucking... It's a $90 microphone. It's made by Sure. Like, they use it a lot on, on live tours and that's, shit. So that's what I use to record my acoustic. It's the best... You're never going to find a right. fucking... It's a cheap-ass a, a microphone. Mic and he it's was amazing. like, I think it's significant because I'm in an argument with our sound engineer that I work with on a week to week basis that like wants me to buy some fucking crazy ass, like expensive ass guitar amp mics. And I'm like, we have a 57. Why not just use the goddamn 57? Are you saying that he used for recording Wasting Light did use the his Gibson, the Gibson that he always uses? Yes. Or are you saying that he used a different guitar? No, no, no. He used that, that guitar. And then the amps okay, were okay. mic'd with like seriously like the most affordable goddamn if your budget's around ninety bucks. We can't do this right now. This is where we're two hours in. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. In its time it got generally good reviews, not great. Yeah, I was like, I have no idea how it is rated. It's not great. So here's the thing. Most people just automatically say color in the shape is the best foo fighter album well i mean which is a strong argument yes i just disagree with it and i do think that this has kind of become the lost foo fighter album it's like if you look at all the best of lists and things like that it's like fourth behind a lot of the old ones i don't get it i don't get how fucking music nerds wouldn't think this is at least the second maybe third best because they don't want to get they they don't want to let go of monkey wrench but that's so i get it if you're calling color in the shape the first best foo fighter album totally get it monkey wrench everlong and like everlong is pretty fucking epic those two songs on an album alone amazing not gonna fight that at all but when you start putting like nothing left to lose or the very first one the demo one i think that this album is i I mean way better yeah, and it's just a, me. It's yeah. To call this the fourth best Foo Fighters album to me is insane. That is insane. This is to me like Dave 
finding the right groove and the right kind of like he's Mm -hmm. settling in on exactly what this band is and accepting exactly what this band is for me what it is with the three guitar players on this album and moving forward because i mean like pat was there then he wasn't now he's back you just have so many layers without adding a bunch of synth shit or pre-recorded whatever or some other just to make it feel full i remember when you and I were in a band and I loved Marlboro profits were a lot higher back then. They were. We loved our reds. And Weinhards. Oh man, I miss Weinhards. <laughs> Three man band was by far the most fun and the tightest we were. hundred percent. But there was something about having especially if you're a vocalist or you have to concentrate on vocals, which you did too. You were backup vocals. Yeah, I didn't concentrate. (laughs) If you didn't notice, I'm sure you noticed. (laughs) When you have an extra member, it relieves so much pressure off of you to, you know what I'm going to do right now? At least when you're live, I'm just not going to play. Right. And I'm going to sing for a little bit. It just relieves so much fucking pressure. Yeah. But I do also see where we're, here we go. We're talking about Nirvana again. I'm going to have to cut all this out. Um, inf- I think, no, inf- it's relevant. It's fucking relevant. It is relevant. I'll keep it all in. This is going to be a two hour episode. <laughs> Influences and influencees. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> we just talked so, about Nirvana. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think influences is harder. Influences, people that influenced Foo Fighters were all the same ones that influenced all the rock bands from that era. You have the Dinosaur Jr. and Neil Young and Pixies and and of course Motorhead and Motorhead, like Husker Du, like all like the eight eighties like punk and hardcore Husker Du and like. Foo Fighters love some heavy music too. Like I'd say, like anything metal too. Yeah. Who they've influenced is a little bit harder. I think it's more of a who Dave Grohl has influenced. There are very few people left in the world that have kept that, hey, go in a fucking garage with your friends, start a shitty band, practice a bunch, get better. There you go. That is an endangered species. And he's doing a good job of keeping that And keeping the next generation of people inspired. Never mind the Bullocks Award. So we both think this is their best album. But I'm thinking you probably think if you were to rank them with space, I'm guessing that Wasting Light would be right here. Color in the shape. And then really, really close right next to it is Color in the Shape, right? It's pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. I think I expressed in the past some enthusiastic fondness for Medicine at Midnight. And it still you is. You loved that. Until I don't, it disappeared from my house. I don't know how. The vinyl has disappeared. I've checked through every one of my records. Somebody stole medicine at midnight? It's gone from my house. It's not on my property anymore. Can't listen to it oh, because no. I refuse to just stream it. <laughs> so full of Actually, shit. I, I don't, but, but still. <laughs> it's the other thing, like I kind of have stopped buying vinyl with the exception of wasting light. Damn. I have it. Out of curiosity, why did you stop buying vinyl? It's stupid. It, I mean, maybe it's not that stupid. How privileged am I that I get to spend fucking $40 on a goddamn like piece of plastic that plays music that I have to have special equipment for? And like that same fucking 30 or 40 bucks would like change their day. It just seems like a really elitist way to listen to music. 
when you can just like for a couple bucks a month or whatever it is like spotify is actually free if you don't want like the not commercials or whatever there's ways you can still listen to music for free and enjoy it all i was struggling with moral and ethics of continuing my habit of buying what about independent uh, artists but i i still stick to like certain albums are worth it like supporting the artist is one thing you don't have to buy their vinyl to support them you could stream them you could buy their digital you could just give them fucking money like i don't know if you really like them i don't think there's any artist that wouldn't just like this is the hottest take we've ever had on this podcast is <laughs> spend is now anti-vinyl <laughs> <laughs> I'm not anti-vinyl. I mean, I still have a collection of vinyl. And like I just said, I'm I'm buying this album on vinyl. It's just that like I have a harder and harder time with it. I totally get that. I honestly do. For me, it's more of a ceremonial. If I spend the money on this album, I know that it's forcing me to appreciate it. I know that I'm going to have a night where I sit down. It's a mental health investment. I'll sit down on a Friday night and I will forget everything else that is going on and just concentrate on that. But I I do. I think there are multiple ways to look at that. I totally get that. Cause I do, I have felt like that before. It's like, why the fuck? Yeah. What are, what are we doing here? I'm not, you I'm not, I like mean? I said, like, like I still have a vinyl collection and it's not like I'm like swearing myself off vinyl forever. It's just that like, I think I'm a little more selective now. I have a feeling we might have the same answer to this question. John Paul Jones award, Sven, if you could add, take away, replace, fix anyone on this. Part of me just tongue in cheek sarcastically and just I want Kurt Cobain to come back to life <laughs> and, and play on this fucking album but the more I think about it like the more of a disaster that would be and actually not make it any better at all what if in an alternative universe because Nirvana was about to break up anyway yeah Kurt wouldn't have died they would have just broke up and then Kurt would have come back for this album years later maybe I mean, Chris came back. Pat's part of I said, I said nobody. I know the easy answer is always I wouldn't change anything, but I've been pretty good about not using that this year, but I have to I have to use that for this. You can't take away the producer. You can't take away any of the members. You can't really add anybody to this. You, I mean, they kind of did this question for us. Butch. Within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Like, he brought, I mean, yeah, he brought back Butch, but then, like, you've already I mean, got he brought Pat back Smear, Christ, too. And he brought back Chris. Like, uh, what else? could you do you know who else i want on this just randomly bob mold oh he's already oh, on it. okay well. great <laughs> <laughs> teach him young awards fend oh shit they've gotten the whole album the past i'm like, sure oh, so so let's ask it this way then what are your kids favorite song on this my you know uh, weirdly enough our landria is one of the ones they like really get down to um so is bridge burning i really tried to get them into like these days and i should have known and the responsive sort of it's, it's positive yeah they don't give as much of a shit mine is bridge burning bridge my, burning. that's you open up this album yes. you're like oh you want foo fighters here you go how about this yeah 100 percent. i see that john popper award mm. best hook i really like the arlandria hook there's a ton of good hooks but the whole you used to say i couldn't save you enough that's such a good hook and then he goes from that into the you are not me man that's fantastic yeah uh sven what's your favorite for me it's like the easy for you to say in these days i think probably just because the contrast like honestly i think without that contrast it wouldn't be as big of a deal to me 
but because it comes out of the verse and that's like what it's so huge agree it's fantastic john prime best lyric award i already said one of them does my heaven burn like hell on you i love that the imagery of somebody wishes you poorly or somebody from your past that you had negativity with that suddenly you're doing well and that fucking makes them mad and then i already said the other one too which from bridge burning which the very first lines of this album these are my famous last words my numbers up bridges will burn there's something so finite and spectacularly angry about that that i love Sven, what about you god it's like the whole fucking thing <laughs> this is like always the hardest one for me because self-admittedly yeah. phonetics his lyrics aren't always great they're usually pretty yeah simple. so in i should have known god it was this the first verse it might be the first verse Lay your hands on mine. Heal me one last time. Though I cannot forgive you yet. No, I cannot forgive you yet. You leave my heart in debt. The first half of that has applied to several situations in like my own life. Yeah, I don't know. It's awesome. Eddie Van Halen Award. And I'm sorry I'm using this too much, but the very beginning of the album, when you have the pattern of the three guitars coming in one after the other you have the Dave is doing the muted fret tangs on the pickups and then you have Chris coming in. When he starts screaming, you have Pat Smear just bringing in the fucking yeah, the full beast yeah. of it all. The intro to this album is incredible. That's my Eddie Van Halen. What about you? For me, it's in I Should Have Known. That building. Every time they come back to that. With, yeah. Chris' bass and Jesse's violin yeah. going on. Oh, Fuck. My God. That's it's just so good. Like, that is huge to me. Yeah. Surfer Rosa Award. I actually start to feel a little bit of fatigue towards the end. Miss the Misery, Walk, A Matter of Time. They're good songs, but they're all songs that Foo Fighters done many, many times before. So I do think this is a little top heavy. I just think towards the end, it starts to get a little bit, you know. Yeah. This is Dave's seventh time doing this type of song. I think I feel similarly, like tracks one through six. I don't know where you would split the A and B. Like, I, I feel like these days might end up on i wouldn't put it on side b but like I numerically agree. it's on that border uh yeah i think we're gonna I talk about that i get, think song seven you start to get a little yeah bit. seven yeah i think when you get to back and forth that yeah time of your life award sven what's the worst song on this album you know that that's so hard on an album like this i know pick your least favorite kid <sighs> It's easier with children, I think. <laughs> I, I know. I feel like maybe "Miss the Misery" is about as bad as I can get. I was very close to picking that. I actually like, walk up, was my other like walks eh, mine, but walks but yours. Yeah, I just it, I think walk gets additional points because it was a single and so many people loved it, and I just don't. Yeah. By the time I get to that part of the album, I'm just over it. What are we She's doing here? So this is high. like. Yeah, no, there that's all I <laughs> she goes. <laughs> but now let's get to our the good ones, our favorite three songs on the album. I will start. It was really, really fucking hard for me to leave Dear Rosemary off this list. Because oh, Bob Mold is the shit. Yeah, it honestly pains me, but Your I uncle's do think gonna there fucking kill you. He is, but I do think there are three better songs. Uh, number three, I Should Have Known. Mm -hmm. We've talked about all these, so you know why I love it. It's by far the most beautiful song on this album. Number two, Burning Bridges. Mm -hmm. Such a good intro. 
And then number one, Sven, you were right. These days yeah. is my favorite song on the album. This song meant a lot to me to hear him doing the one of these days. I bet your heart will be broken. I bet your pride will be stolen. When I heard this album and I heard that song, I needed it in my life. It's one of those songs. Yeah, it means a lot to me. So I'll go ahead and take a shot since you got it right. Sven, what are God your damn. three favorite songs on the album? So going three, two, one, my third favorite is Bridge Burning. Great song. All the things that you said about it. To me, that clued me into the type of album this is going to be. And then from there, I go, I should have known. I think. Great song. Nostalgic, what it's about. I was a huge Kurt Cobain fan. So I think, honestly, without the connection, I don't know that I'd be pulled in so much. But having Chris okay. Novoselic on it, Novoselic, what did we decide? Yeah, Having him on the album, the amount of orchestration and instrumentation, the production on it, I don't know. It's all the things that I amazing. kind of get me. It's yeah. amazing. It's fantastic. These days, yeah, I, I see your face. Like, no one at home can see Dave's face. But, Holy okay. shit, though, that's your favorite? That's my favorite. I think that's why I wrote in my notes the fuck because i surprised <laughs> myself we have the same three favorites Sven. that's just nuts that means we have to shoot what are we shooting well i mean what else is there i like your jaeger face so we have to see it again <laughs> like, oh, for two people that have had a lot of differences on the pod we are very similar with this album it's totally like two peas and we're in the same pod foo fighter pod cheers here comes sven's jaeger face <laughs> he loves it so much um sven who won the album? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> There's too many answers to that question. I feel like I kind of won the album a little bit. Because you like it? I feel like they all did. Butch won the album because that's another feather in his cap. For... Yeah. You know, I think, I think Pat Smear won the album. What the f- fuck i did not see that coming at all because he came back he came back but also like and found just the perfect spot to nestle in wow in those guitars i like it if he wasn't on this album it'd still be a good album he makes the foo fighters sound like the foo fighters yeah everyone else is just too clean and that's why i say pass mirror that's fantastic i absolutely did not see that coming I went way less intriguing than you. I just said Butch and Dave. You know, I'll add Chris in there too. They were able to kind of exercise those Nirvana demons. Finally, a point in time where they were able to look back and see things from a positive plateau. Yeah, I think it was exactly what they needed to do. Speaking of which, we only have one thing we have left to do. Spend. Yeah. We have to rate this album. Rate it. What did you rate this bad boy? Do I have to go first? I can go first. You go first. I fought with this for a long time within myself. I'm still Uh, fighting. I just... Struggled a lot between what to rank this. In the end, I ended up at nine out of ten. Christ Novacellic bass lines. I wanted to give this a 10 because I do definitely think this is the best Foo Fighters album. I just think that there's a lot in here, particularly towards the end, that they had already done. But it is definitely a Foo Fighters culmination for me. It's the mountaintop. It And it, the mountaintop of, I think Foo Fighters is the perfect 7 out of 10 band. Yeah. They're never going to be a Beatles or a Radiohead or that sort of thing. And I don't think they want to be. They are a Cheap Trick or a Dave Matthews or a yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. They are a perfect 7 out of 10 band. And a perfect 7 out of 10 band that comes out with an amazing album. That album's a 9 out of 10. Yeah. Sven, 
What about you? Okay, I think I finally wrapped my head around where I'm at. You know how like when you buy a bag of Fritos, Frito Frito Lays, maybe, maybe yeah. Not. You know what I like? I like, like the, the corn the, chips, the, the barbecue twists. That's a good road trip. Okay. Chip. So like you know how in every nobody bag... buys regular Frito Lays though. What? Unless Why you're not? making Frito Pie. Frito Pie. Yeah. Frito Pie is okay. Great. Well, either way, some sort of corn chips, there's always a certain percentage in the bag that's like crushed to powder when yes. you buy it. The remaining that are still whole chips, mm-hmm. that is my rating. <laughs> so like... So it depends on the chip. Because if it's Doritos, it de- you're giving this like a four out of 10. <laughs> but <if it's, laughs> no, I, that's why I said Fritos. They're a pretty hearty chip. Yeah, there they're you pretty go. hardy. Fritos. They don't crush. Say you're, There's like maybe I, like 87% chance that your chip is still in one piece. The best rating that we've ever had on this show by far. Yeah. Good job, Sven. You win. <laughs> you actually win this dissection. That is wasting light. Hopefully it isn't just a bunch of wasting time with us. Two and a half hours later, Sven. <laughs> Sven, this was a blast. I love this album. We both love this album. That was a lot of fun. I'm really glad. I love where this podcast is at. But the bottom line is, is that this podcast started as one thing, and that is you and I talking about albums. And when we still get to do that, it's uh, as yeah. advertised. Honestly, it's just like, fucking fun. This was this was the highlight of my month. <laughs> you have the messages to prove it. This was like. spectacular. <laughs> Damn Skippy. That's it for us. Join us next week. Guess what, people? Time for excitement. It's October. It is time for our second Halloween Ooh. scores. Sven, you and I's old friend, Rachel Reeves, is joining to talk about some Halloween she, scores. As far as if you're going to pull in an expert, I think you... Yeah. yeah. D- did you listen to her, the episode she was on last yeah. year? Yeah. She is a fucking pro. Yeah. It's almost like it's like her job to talk about... <laughs> Yeah. Shit. Exactly. Sven, you are the man. Really excited to see you in a couple months at the finale. Yeah. Everybody, hope you go. Hey, bring your guitar. Oh, I will. That's all I'm going to say. Ladies and gentlemen, go listen to Wasting Light. It's a fantastic album. We love you. Versecourseverse.com at versecourseversepod. We're everywhere now. We got to go. It's been way too long. We got to go. Are you people reviewing us? Like, it costs nothing to review us. You know what, Sven? Thanks for bringing that up. It's been a long time since we had our last review. Uh, my fault. I have not been plugging it. If you go to iTunes and you rate and review us, it helps. It hel- actually helps totally. a lot. So usually when we plug okay. this, we get a two or three extra ones. So, hey, I'm plugging it. People. Like if you haven't done it, it costs you nothing. Exactly. Go do it. Good night and good luck. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I,